0: It's Sunday, June 28th, and you are listening to Peanuts and Popcorn. PNP is a spontaneous podcast between two old friends on baseball and motion pictures. I'm Tom Hockey.
1: And I'm Leo Fontana. This week on Peanuts and Popcorn, a second spring training begins this week, and a 60-game regular season should begin later this month. We'll talk about how this whole thing is supposed to happen. There are unsigned free agents out there who might still help a team. Jason Stark writes about the impending universal DH. We'll try to predict the impact of the new extra inning rule and we'll review the MLB Network's documentary on Ken Griffey Jr. We'll have the latest info on the Chicago Cubs and our movie of the week is Sunset Boulevard. Tom, how are you doing?
0: Uh, Either I'm dead or my watch has stopped.
1: (laughs) Well, all right. How you? How you morning, no, you're, uh, still, you're still you still self quarantined pretty much. I mean, I get out a lot. I'm I'm masked up, but you you don't do much apart from your daily walk with your dog. It's
0: the exception of me going to ex, uh, an essential place, a liquor store. Um, <laughs> I have not been within six feet of any of any human being. And and in fact, we can actually talk about this first because COVID is coming is is roaring back with yes. a uh, like a lion. Um, you know, for over like all the states that that open prematurely are are all, struggling big time. Texas, and so
1: Florida, Georgia, they're
0: all yeah, I know. So I am masked up whenever I'm out in public, and yeah. so I don't care if you don't wear a mask if you're not within my zone. I don't care what you do, but yeah. if you are within my zone and you're not wearing a mask, um, yeah, I mean I don't fight anymore, but I will mentally destroy you. I mean, <laughs> mentally destroy you. I mean, it's well, like Tom, that's time. like and, and I've had a couple instances, like where I, basically I'm like, you know, are you just too good to wear a mask? Is that what it is? You know, I, I try to get them really going. And a lot of times people, they just ignore me and they keep going on, but I get my lines out.
1: Do you really? That's, that's funny. Now, let me ask you, have you been inside
0: a building other than your own home? Yeah, yeah, i bet. in. I, I, like I said, essential liquor store, <laughs> outside a liquor store. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm trying to think if there, if there's been anything else. I've I don't, been outside of a liquor store. Yeah. I don't think so. That's no. hilarious. That's hilarious. And, and and I feel as though, look, some they said early on that 70% of us are going to catch this. Yeah. I'm trying to do everything I can to be one of those 30%. And I think. I think I kind of know. And also because of my age, um, I'm a perfect target for it. So there's a, there's other factors involved.
1: Well, you don't but look day over 61,
0: but, yeah, uh, <laughs> okay. well, you know, you're only as old as who you feel. All right. Uh, so
1: now before we get to the uh, peanuts, we, we wanted to discuss, uh, a great moment that happened in the sport of NASCAR. Uh, yeah. This is not something we usually discuss, but uh, I think it's something worth mentioning. And I'm going to allow you to begin. What is it that happened in well, NASCAR that was so
0: great? Uh, so, you know, I'm from Detroit originally, so I've always been kind of a motorsport. I'm more, I, I, I actually like Formula One more than NASCAR ultimately, but, but I do appreciate the sport of NASCAR, which the, the proposition is that all the cars are the same, only yeah. the drivers are the difference, right? Right. And so. And then uh, people that argue say that it's, you know, kind of a southern hick sport. Uh, everyone turns, you know, it's going in circles, turning left. That's what my brother would say. He, yeah. he thinks it's a ridiculous sport. But for years, the sport has had the stigma of, of being kind of a racist sport. It's been, you know, uh, steeped in the Deep South. Um, and many it's of its drivers...
1: Yeah.
0: Many, many of its drivers started out as moonshiners, and most of these guys were um, were racist, quite frankly. And so you've seen over the years, um, you know, um, how this has manifested itself. But one thing that has been the glue throughout all this time has been the Confederate flag. Mm-hmm. The Confederate flag is is...
1: Is prominently displayed at NASCAR events.
0: Correct, correct. But what and so, to Rusty, but so, not Rusty Bubba. Yeah, so Bubba Wallace, uh, the one of the very few African American um, NASCAR racers, um, drivers, I should say, um, experienced something this week that uh, was was basically disgusting. Even though, as it turns out, uh, basically they found a noose in in his garage. And, well, it turns out that noose would have been there for a long time, but they didn't know it at the time. And, and in the world that we're living in today, that's kind of a big deal. Um, and so the way NASCAR handled it was perfectly. You know, they, they basically they did all the right things. They, they did an investigation. They brought the FBI in and the FBI found that it actually was there for, for like a year and a half prior. But it doesn't matter. It, it was just a, used to pull down a garage door. Correct. It doesn't yeah. matter. It's symbolic. Of of the times that we're living in, yeah. and, and and so NASCAR basically last week said for the first time at Talladega there will be no Confederate flags in anywhere inside of a NASCAR event. Period. That's not that means you can't put it on your cars, you can't wave the flag, you can't do anything. And you so can't
1: put it in the parking lot and see. But here's the thing, Tom. I mean, I, as admirable as this is, I don't yeah. I don't see how they're going to be able to enforce it. Tom, if well, you're the customer relations manager that you were just hired, and they yeah, say, hey, Tom, head over to parking lot 1B and tell the guy in the double wide that, that he and all of his friends have to take down their Confederate flags. How are you going to do that? How do you police? Yeah, I, I,
0: I'm not sure. It, it may be a symbolic thing, but yeah. but it's, it's, it's something that's a very positive symbolic thing. And so what happened and how it manifests itself is that Sunday's race, I saw something that, I have never really seen almost in any other sport ever, and that is every single combatant participant yeah. rallied behind Bubble Wallace and walked behind his car as it kind of entered the uh, promenade or whatever you want to call it of the track to to uh, to, to to begin the racing portion and, of it, and, and it was you know a remarkable happened? and, you know and an emotional
1: it moment. It was, and you know what else happened is that Richard Petty came right. Yeah, he so came at 83 years old, a man who should be in quarantine because he's yeah. so old. right. He said, right. To hell with that. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to support my driver because right. Wallace, okay, Bubba drives for his team, the right. iconic 43, you know, that yep. we've seen for yep. years.
0: Yep, the seven times harder.
1: Yeah, he's arguably the greatest stock car racer of all time for right. him to come out there
0: is huge. Yep. I thought that was that great. Was not just that. He was entrenched and indoctrinated in that old moonshiner world. He, he came from that, that time and place. And he's so,
1: connected to it. He's connected yes. to those
0: times. And, you know? and the fact that he's got that much of an open mind um, today um, is remarkable. But it, like I said, it just, hey, it's just a podunk southern sport, but it was a remarkable moment where basically they said, this is right. And fuck you, racists. You know, yeah. basically, that's yeah. what they were saying. Enough. Yeah. They enough. really
1: are. They really are. And and you know what? What it also tells me is, as uh, Richard Petty doesn't have Alzheimer's, he's thinking pretty yeah. clearly. Correct. You, know, Correct. you know what I mean? All right. Still so win. let's get to Still baseball. Still winning. Oh. Still winning. Still winning. Exactly. So let's get to baseball, and we'll begin with, uh, you know, it seems like the last week they the players and the owners got together, and they've decided that we're going to have a baseball season. Uh, we'll have a spring training that should begin around the 1st or the 3rd. Is that when does it begin? It, be, it, no, no, it
0: begins July, July
1: 1st. 1st. And then July with 1st. a possible starting date for the regular season, July 24th, and a 60-game season thereafter. Um, Mark Fison from MLB.com has kind of been breaking it down. And, uh, you know, we'll we should get into what it is we're going to be looking at. And the first thing is, is that, we're not going to have any sort of realignment. I think that's important to point out right at the start that we're still going to have our three divisions per league—you know, an East, a Central, and a West—for both the National League and the American League. And the playoff structure, or the qualification process, will be exactly the same. You'll have three division winners per league, and you'll have two wild card, uh, two wild card teams who will play each other—a one-game series, a, a winner go home. And that'll be the fourth playoff team in each league. So, right. you know, it. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think it's admirable that they that they have reached some sort of uh, consensus. I just think it may all be for naught.
0: You know. Well, so so one thing is that yes, they they did not do realignment, but you do understand that the central. Um, National League and the Central American League are together. In, They'll in play the, each
1: other. Yeah, the interleague portion of the schedule will be played exactly, and that's to limit the amount of travel, like to the that's West Coast. Correct. The
0: West Coast. That's the COVID factor. The COVID factor in all of this is enormous. And in fact, I have to say, I got to, I have to give credit to the to the guy that scheduled that set that did arrange the schedule, which apparently was a, a mathematical nightmare this yeah, year, even cool. though it's only 60 games, it's a logistical issue. For example, um, you know, Milwaukee has to be uh, out of their city when the so-called convention is in town yeah, because of yeah. COVID bed restrictions. So there's, you know, they have, there's all these different things that they have to, 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 to uh, kind of work through to get the schedule to the way that it is. Um, but there are some things that we have to take it take into consideration. So one thing is is that you basically have a, a finite roster this year. There's I think it's sixty. It's locked at sixty.
1: I think it uh-huh. is locked at sixty. Well, they they what what'll happen is the teams begin the season with a thirty man kind of active roster, okay, mm-hmm. and then after two weeks they have to drop that to twenty eight.
0: So and there's a taxi plus, squad. Well,
1: yeah, plus. And then we'll get, well. In order to be eligible for the postseason, a player has to be added to the roster by September fifteenth. That's important too.
0: That is important.
1: They'll have a ten-day injury list for pitchers and hitters. Um, it, it it is going to be we'll have we'll have a universal designated hitter, extra inning games in order to conserve pitchers. We'll begin with a runner on second, or or extra innings. will begin with a runner on second in order to maybe move things along, and we'll. And that's interesting because there is some data on that, and they've done it in the minor leagues now for a few years or two years. And they found that there are fewer long extra inning games because of this. Um, Do you think that that's really the case? I was wondering that, you know, it may be possible at the major league level, the whole extra inning will just turn into an affair where they're just trying to move that runner to third with less than two outs and that people or teams might score one run, one run, one run, you know what I mean, but I guess in the scoring of a run, that makes it more likely that we would reach a conclusion at a at a sooner inning, you know, an earlier inning.
0: Yeah, they've they've actually worked out all of these permutations, and it um, it appears as though, um, as uh, Bill Bauer of uh, NBC Sports says, it's not going to be that big of a deal because yeah. it doesn't really change the outcome dramatically. Yes, it does mean that by the 11th game, I think. Fifty-three or fifty-six percent of the games would have been over at that point under this under this new rule, where in the old time it might be thirty-five percent. So there's a percentage increase by doing this, but it's not an overwhelming um, right. uh, change to the we'll, outcome.
1: We'll still get a really long extra inning game. You know, it'll right. still happen on a cold night or whatever. I mean, some crazy night. You know, we'll still get a game that'll go eighteen innings. We just won't get Hopefully three or four of them. You
0: know hey, what I mean? Hey, I'm I'm optimistic. If it may add some excitement to the game as well, the fact that you have, because remember, the way that the rule works is, is that the last out in the previous inning is the runner, and it's an uh, it starts as an unearned run against the pitcher. So that's an interesting thing that to that may be the most interesting thing that I read about the rules because that will impact statistics enormously. And we're going to talk about statistics in the 60 games well, in a that, minute. That's
1: but. what we sink this, this rule, is that is the statistics. Because this this runner, who this phantom runner who made the out at the end of the previous inning, is going to get credited for a run scored. Does he right. get credited for a time on base? I mean, these are the things, these are the issues that will sink this if they don't figure them out.
0: Well, also think about if the hitter or the out in the previous inning was like Bartolo Cologne. And and the reason why I say that is, is because if you have a bad hitter, then it forces the manager, I think, to, I think the manager is allowed to put a pinch runner in, but you have to take that player out of the game. So new, new things will be, will be kind of thrust upon the managers from a, from a, um, strategy standpoint, but I kind of agree with Bauer. Maybe it won't be that bad of a, to me, it's way easier to digest than the universal DH, but that's what we already kind of beat that horse.
1: Much harder to stomach, but yeah, now, now, in addition, you have a 28 man roster. You'll have a three man taxi squad, which are guys who are ready to play for your team, but you have them at some undisclosed location. They're not actually with the team. So they're, the in event, a, they're in a bunker. They're in a bunker. So with the event you got to replace somebody on your team because of the coronavirus, the idea is that these guys won't have it. Correct. And then you'll also have what's called a player pool, which consists of your sort of, instead of a 40-man roster, it's sort of a 60-man roster. And out of this player pool, which would include ostensibly all of your minor league players of any importance, okay, these guys would be ready to come in. Now, in addition, you know, you're going to have all these free agents out there who are unsigned and all these players who you know, were released a few years ago or a few months ago. You know, remember that uh, MLB released yeah. you know, about uh, three, 300 players or something. Right. So so those guys will be available as well.
0: Right. We'll and talk those, you know, about those guys in a minute. We we got we got a, a thing on on that in a second. But uh did you read Bob Nightingale's article about how they put the schedule together? Because I thought that was fascinating. I did.
1: I did. It was a nightmare. And and why don't you go ahead with that? You're, well, you're good to advance it. Yeah.
0: The 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 interesting thing about um, this, you wouldn't think on the surface that that it would be difficult to. Um, uh, you know, put together this schedule because every year they have to do that for 162 games. You would think that would be much harder. In reality, this was way harder because of all those factors that we kind of previously described. You have COVID now. Right. Now you have you have rules, different rules in different cities and different states in regards to oh, how, right. how you do that. And then you have to kind of um, – you're adding basically the season, if, if you haven't looked, is all – um, within your division or interleague play. That's right. Uh, there's not you're, games
1: play in the opposite division. You know. What's the, that? that? The opposite regional division. You 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 know. That's you right. And,
0: see, and yeah. that's done because of COVID, so that it's within a. And, and I think that's brilliant. But the point is that possesses challenges when you're trying to put, you know, games every single day out there. It becomes very difficult. And they're only going to get six days off. They're only going to get six days off. They play. They every- should only get six days off. They should get three days off. My God. Uh, <laughs>
1: they've
0: had a thousand days off.
1: I know they've had a thousand. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I, I'm actually kind of now, now that I've had a chance to talk to you, I'm getting kind of
0: excited. Uh, me too. Know. Me too. But, but uh, you're so excited. Article- are, are 60 games enough yeah. to crown the best team in the major leagues? Are they? Are they but well, are, are one hundred and sixty two games enough? Neil
1: Payne uh, from five thirty eight, and this is an article you found, yeah. uh, wrote a great piece on, you know, sixty games aren't enough to to crown a champion. but then he also mentions that one hundred and sixty two games really aren't either, because the 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 whole process is just imperfect. There's so many moving parts within you know that that have to come together for the best team to win the World Series that uh, it really, the same rate, whether it's 60 games, whether it's 162 games, the best team wins really only at the same 23% rate,
0: you know? Correct, correct.
1: So, so, so I mean, maybe, maybe it really doesn't matter how many games we play at all. And maybe playing 60 games this season will inspire or encourage or, or or have them start thinking that maybe we might have a shorter season anyway. We might go back to 154 games or whatever, you know, 100. So.
0: So I, I propose that the Washington Nationals are a perfect example of what you just talked about. They were not the best team um, until there was 60 games left in last year. 60 game. games left. Exactly. And, and then they, you know, kind of ran through the league like room temperature mayonnaise through my colon. Um, and, and, and they were – remember when they came to, to Chicago and absolutely crushed the Cubs and crushed our hopes and all within one weekend? All within one weekend. Yeah, that's right.
1: And they really they, – they, they dominated some good teams. I mean, they completely shut out the Cardinals. You know, they shut them out two games – in that playoff series, you know, uh, I, I, it was just crazy how good their pitching was, and that's really what it's about. I mean, is is your team playing well at the time that it needs to play well?
0: But when you're playing sixty games, and then you know, we've we've there was a couple articles that showed the best teams over a sixty game period, and we saw we've seen recently the Dodgers and the Cleveland Indians uh, in sixty game stretches have won over fifty games, and that's. Unbelievable at the major league level, but but it has happened, and so th- what the reason why I bring up the Nationals is because I think that's we may see a really great season. John Smoltz thinks this is going to be the most interesting baseball season of all time because <laughs> be- I know, I know that's Mr. Superlative, but but uh, and the reason is is because you may see someone hit 400, you might you may see right you you you're going to see statistical aberrations is what's what's going to happen
1: and 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 mlb.com put together a list matt kelly did of of some of the best 60 game performances of all time and uh, we'll start with a few different categories the best one the best batting average in for, in a 60 game stretch in the history of baseball is josh hamilton hit 427 right uh, from june 4th to august 14th two, 2010 pretty good Pretty good. This
0: is all since the year 2000, by the way. It doesn't go, obviously, you know, Ted Williams might be on this list or other hitters, but, but yes, I do remember that, you know, Hamilton was coming off, um, almost being out of baseball because of drug abuse and injuries. And he, uh,
1: you know, he, he really had a
0: great stretch during that period in 2010. Really, really did.
1: On-base percentage, 560 by Joey Votto back in
0: 2005. Not a surprise. Not a surprise. Uh, Seriously, what what did we show last year? He had 6,000 at-bats before he popped up in the infield.
1: Slugging percentage, 824, Giancarlo Stanton back in
0: 2017.
1: But did you see the all-time leader was Barry Bonds at 1.016?
0: The legitimate all-time leader is Babe Ruth. And I think his, his is like eight. Eight thirty-one or something like that in that season of nineteen twenty-one, which I'll argue is the greatest season any hitters ever had.
1: Well, it's it's interesting you bring up Babe Ruth because when we go to OPS in the last decade, Bryce Harper at one point two six nine is the best, but Babe Ruth, oh yeah, right. is the all-time leader in OPS for a sixty-game period at one point five nine eight. And that was
0: nineteen twenty, the season before twenty-one which is a better year. So Which that's, is an even
1: better year. Yeah, that's right. that's crazy. But of course he wasn't he wasn't playing against black players exactly, you know, right, but, right. but anyway. All right, hits 103 by Jose Altuve, but yeah, each row He's him. a cheater doesn't count. Yeah, he's a cheater doesn't count and yeah. each year does him anyway exactly. at 121. Uh John Carlos Stanton 33, the all-time leader for 60 games is Barry Bonds at 37 right um rbis in the last decade 68 by josh donaldson
0: that's a lot
1: yeah but uh hack wilson of the cubs got 90 in yep. 60 games wow uh jake arietta had the lowest era at point forty-one.
0: you remember that 1915 I, that, the fall of 1915
1: yeah and then uh, but the, the all-time leader is fernando valenzuela Right. 1981 at 0.29. That's very good. Yeah. Uh, see, and then wins the one. The last one I want to do. The the best record is the Dodgers at 51 and nine. This is 2017. That's the best for the last ten years. And the all time leader. The they 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 are the all time leader. You know, at 51 and nine. The Cubs in 1906 and the 1912 Giants were 52 and eight. So yeah.
0: I was going to say I know that the Giants did play very very well during that time too, so it's it's interesting. The, the sixty games I think I'm very looking forward to the season. I, it wouldn't matter to me if they were playing thirty games, but I, I do think that we're gonna we may see some some unusual things happen, like maybe two teams that you never would have thought ended up in the World Series did so because of that sixty game schedule, you know. So um, moving on to the next topic, Tony Wolf on FanGraphs. Uh,
1: reminded everybody this week that there's still some free agents out there that might be worth looking at uh, who are unsigned. And we're going to begin with Yasiel Puig, uh, the erstwhile former Dodger, former Red, former Cleveland Indian uh, from Cuba, who has a tremendous baseball body, uh, (laughs) is capable of doing some unbelievably, unbelievable things on a baseball diamond, but is also rumored to be a very bad teammate. Yeah, uh, but he's out there and he can help a
0: team. He's good. Yeah, you know, they talk about St. Louis or the Tigers uh, taking a flyer on him. I'd like to see him play in Detroit, quite frankly. I think he's a Detroit kind of guy when it's all said and done.
1: Well, they said he was a Cincinnati kind of guy. You know?
0: he, he was He should he, he should have stayed there. I mean I mean he should have stayed there.
1: I think well, the problem is is the Reds have other players they want to play that he would be blocking them. I mean, he, 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 there are other outfielders that they want to get in the game and he's, I mean, I, 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 I'm reluctant to use the phrase hothead, but, but he kind of is. And, and, you know, he, I mean, it's hard to be his teammate. Uh, He's always chirping with the other team. He he's gotten into famous fights on the baseball diamond and he does things or at least he did things with the Dodgers uh, the idea is maybe he's learned from that but that he was not a good teammate with the Dodgers and uh, they were happy to see him leave so uh, i don't know there's the clubhouse aspect of this
0: yeah you know? i suspect that's what it is actually I, I because on paper you wouldn't get rid of a guy that you know electrified the uh, Cincinnati home crowd during that brawl last year. Oh no! Um, it, that's, uh, you know, you would think just for that they would have given a flyer on it. So there's something else at play. The next I, guy, the next guy on the list is very intriguing to me because he's somebody I think the Cubs might want to take a flyer on, and that's Russell Martin, um, who's you know, he is 37 years old now, but but we could use a good David Ross-like backup catcher on the team. That's what I think.
1: I mean, a guy, a veteran presence like that is always, I think, useful in a clubhouse, especially in such an uncertain time. And that might be somebody. You know, he 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 was he had one point two wins above replacement last year, and he was only playing. He didn't play very much.
0: Right, right. You know,
1: for him to amass that kind of a total, I mean, he has yeah. to his pitch framing and.
0: It, it, right, exactly, and that's why I say the Cubs could use a guy like that.
1: Yeah, exactly. no, it, it's intriguing to 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 get him it right. would be uh, that would be kind of like a david ross but then also i mean when you consider the roster do you really need a third catcher
0: you know uh, the no Cubs-
1: you have two. Is a third one really necessary?
0: Right. No, they wouldn't. No, they couldn't keep. It. A third is called a, a bullpen catcher. No. So, uh, so let's just kind of, you know, move it along. Uh, there's a guy, Andrew Kashner, who was Cubs property at one point, was. is back available. He's somebody, if I was the Cubs, I'd be maybe taking a flyer on him. And then. Um, I think the Cubs have,
1: the Cubs won't though. They won't go after Kashner because they have a lot of, they, they acquired. You know, before COVID, they were acquiring bullpen arms and starters, just guys to, you know, they, they have a lot of guys they want to see pitch before they have to reach for Kashner, uh, although he still may have something left,
0: you know. Yeah. Oh, there's no doubt. He may be worth a flyer. I don't know. Um, Scooter, Gannett. Scooter, Gennett. Yeah.
1: yeah. You know, I'm. Right. I, I mean, we'd have to be pretty pretty desperate and i'm looking at some of the relievers like danny salazar would be good exactly. but he's always injured you know Yep. and uh but after that you know and oh the one other guy's the sam twi vailala yeah
0: who,
1: uh, the wineborn pitcher who pitched for the cardinals and he's kind of intriguing he has a good fastball would you would you take fernando rodney though i mean no
0: no, no. i would not
1: <laughs> so no, i But uh, all right, so now Jason Stark wrote about the universal DH, and and I loved this column. We talked about this last week. We talked about this sort of on our own, what playing with a universal DH is really going to mean. And, you know, I've been saying for a long time that we're going to lose things that we don't don't realize that we're going to lose things that we love. Because when the pitcher hits, okay, and Jason Stark outlined this, and I've been saying this for a long time, that when the pitcher hits, unusual things happen. And it is worth keeping it in the game in order to continue to have these moments of surprise where games turn on something that the pitcher does at the plate. You know, Uh,
0: I think I would say to you is unless you have a dress in your closet, in your uh, room, uh, women and children are getting off the Titanic first. So (laughs) you're going to have to wait. But yeah, it, it just exactly. seems like, you know, you're on the Titanic here. I I understand what you're saying, but it's like it's over. It is. It's over. We've lost the argument. We it, no, we've lost the war because you we know lost. what's going to happen. What I'm just saying this is what once they put it in, a year from now no one's going to go, "Oh, that was terrible. Take it out." It's not that's not the
1: way things work. That's not the way things work. Once it's in, once it's implemented, correct. You know, they'll they'll say, "Well, there's no reason to go back because pitchers have stopped hitting, so we don't want you know, and, and that's really the the crux of their argument, you know, uh, that it protects pitchers. You know, it protects pitchers from injuries that, that would occur unnecessarily running the bases or getting hit by pitches while they're at the plate. You know, and and, and, and I guess they're they're right. They
0: are that's right. a weaker argument. That to me that, that that's a weaker point. That, that, that's no different than them standing on the mound. They're at, not any more at danger at any, at, at any point. But and I, I, I think that the question at least
1: needs to be asked that perhaps we're protecting pitchers more by allowing them to pitch to their opposite number. That when a pitcher is allowed to have a handicap, a batter in the lineup that they can take a break on, okay, that yeah. is an easy out. Okay. Or is it? Or is it? Or is it? You know, <laughs> that you can sort of hold back a little bit and you can throw yeah. a batting practice fastball because Jose Quintana doesn't swing a very hot bat. OK, but if you ease up enough, maybe he can put together an uh, and at bat and single the right field. You know what I mean? It, 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 uh, it, it causes things to happen. You decide to do something and you get punished for it. You know what I mean? That's the best part of baseball. That's the drama.
0: That's where you go, aha!
1: You know what I mean? It, yeah.
0: it, it just, I don't know. Cubs broadcaster, Jim Deshays, who's cited in this article, yeah. has a great line where he says, I understand the arguments for the DH. I just think they're wrong. Yeah. And that, and that's the way I I, I I get it. I understand what's happening. I don't like it. I don't agree with it, but I think once it happens, start, what, start, tra- but, but, but embrace it and understand it. It is what it is. If it means that our great game is going to survive the next 20, 30 years, which are at risk. If if COVID is becomes a permanent part of our life or another one comes and hits us again, and you can't have people in the stands, baseball will not exist without uh, fans in the seats. That's not going no. to happen.
1: No, it, it must have. It must be a game seen live and that's really the, it's it's greatest appeal even
0: the though other, the tv revenue is huge you got to have butts in the seats
1: but people don't understand how the how how letting pitchers hit connects fans to the game
0: right
1: do you want to know what it's like to face matt scherzer we well, take a look <laughs> right. at what kyle hendricks is doing against matt scherzer now <laughs> you know now <laughs> you know what it would be like if that were you you know Correct. i Correct. mean so anyway all right <sighs> I get I get flustered on this issue because nothing. you need did... to
0: get off your double steel reinforced soapbox.
1: Hey, man, I've lost 15 pounds.
0: I don't I'm know, just kidding. Double... I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, trust me. I, I probably put it on. So so, uh, so, moving so along.
1: Giants owner Farhan Zahidi had yeah. some harsh words for the governor of Arizona. And and I think he he's kind of right here now. He's Farhan, 100% a bit of a, right. Yeah, well, he's 100% right now. Farhan's a bit of a hothead himself and gets into trouble for arguing with his wife in public. But uh, but but the problem is, is that in the state of Arizona, the COVID cases have increased. They have gone up steadily. And yep. Arizona is in a serious public health predicament. And Farhan Zahidi is angry at him because the Giants have their spring training facility in Arizona. And he even went so far as to say, fuck that guy.
0: You yeah, know? exactly. It, and, it takes a lot to say it. But it's warranted. It's, if you watch the video of the guy, the white councilman, yeah. uh, idiot, um, but he's that Trump voter. He's, if the, he's that uh, the silent minority, whatever you want to call him, sometimes not so silent m- minority of Caucasians out there who believe this shit. They, in their heart, they actually have that kind of a hatred going on. It's just it's ridiculous. That they want the disease to spread. You know what I mean? It's just, well, at, at one point, Arizona had one of the lowest uh, uh, detection rates and death rates, but that's uh, they they didn't really take it serious, <laughs> and now they're one of the highest.
1: So now they're one of the highest. At least they're having they're they're getting cases at a rate relative to their population that is right. one of the highest. Arizona, Georgia, I think it's North Carolina, and what's the other state? Florida.
0: Florida, and, the Carolinas, yeah. Uh, yeah. And there was all, all the southern parts of the United States that stayed open, anywhere that where there was beaches, you have lots of detection. For, but the destroy.
1: thing is, like when that when you compare that to Illinois, and Illinois has done a really good job, you know, Lately, cases, yes. Yeah, but it's not the kind of thing that you can thump your chest about because a month from now the situation could be completely different.
0: You know. Well. Not just that, there's still six, six or more than six thousand people dead in Illinois, so it's a significant number. Yeah. Um, All right,
1: so let's let's move on. Um, yeah. There was a restraining order issued against David Ortiz in the Dominican Republic by his,
0: is it his ex-wife or his ex-girlfriend? His ex-partner, I think it, it is. The, 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 uh, the reason why I added this in, be, um, besides the obvious, is David Ortiz, is because it kind of ties back to the original shooting. that occurred with Ortiz when you and I were saying, what's the real reason he got shot here? It's, it's, it's either money, it's when people are like, he was, was mistaken. You don't mistake David Ortiz, uh, in, in the Dominican he's, he's, you know, it's, it's, he might as well put his picture on the currency. Come on. I, I never believed that.
1: No, exactly. This may be related to that. And this story, as always, you know, it's like the onion. We peel back the layers to get to the truth. Uh,
0: right. All right. Moving on to Kurt
1: Schilling. It's just you know? that the
0: onion does it in a joking way. Right.
1: Right. 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 <laughs> okay. So Kurt Schilling is in the yeah. news. He's telling the world what he thinks of the Bubba Wallace situation.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, Jesse Yamtov of USA Today talked about how, well, basically he, he compared it to Jesse Smollett. And uh, that the whole thing. Schilling did. Yeah, Schilling compared the 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 Wallace finding a noose in his garage to Jesse Smollett faking his own sort of hate crime attack in Chicago.
0: You yeah, know. on on Twitter <laughs> he said it's all a lie or something like that. I think Twitter tagged tagged it too. Yeah. it's just it's so far out of bounds, but it's what you expect from Kurt Schilling, who I will say again. Looked at his stats again early this morning. You gotta put I, I cannot stand this guy. He's abhorrent to me. He, he if if he was around in the thirties and the forties, he would have been you know one of Hitler's inner circle. Uh, <laughs> but he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. He does he does. He does. So does Lou so does Whitaker. Yeah. But he but but Schilling with his seventy-nine win above replacement belongs in the hall of fame. I'm sorry. And I can't stand the guy working with you all over these past years. I mean, you've thoroughly convinced
1: me of Whitaker's, you know, uh, Whitaker's deserve how, how he deserves to be
0: in the hall of fame. But anyway, we'll, so. we'll continue mentioning it until it happens. So, all
1: right. so uh, Tim Kirchin wrote a nice piece about Bobby Cox. Yeah. Uh, He's sort of telling stories as we haven't had baseball. He likes to tell stories associated with this date. And and on that date uh, this week, back, back, I guess it was 1990, Bobby Cox became the manager of the uh, Atlanta Braves and, and, and led them through a period of just unprecedented success where they finished first like eight or nine
0: years in a row. It was
1: unbelievable. Even though so they, won- they
0: finished first 14 straight years,
1: 14 straight seasons. Ouch.
0: Yeah. Ouch. Yeah. That's that's. And, and in thirteen of those fourteen, they won at least ninety games. Yeah. That is a model of consistency. However, they only won wor- one World Series, and that's the big criticism. But the reason why this is was kind of a cool article is because they used the meta not so, so much of a metaphor, but it, that Bobby Cox wore metal spikes his entire managerial career, and at the point. Of about halfway through his managerial career, virtually every player was wearing rubber spikes. They weren't wearing metal spikes. And so the point is, he's the throwback. He wore a, this. This is something that personally bothers me. When I see a manager wearing a sweatshirt, yeah. and I don't care. I don't care if you're uh, Joe Madden, Terry right? Franklin. Exactly. Yeah, they, they, you have to wear a or, or even you know, Connie Mack. Screw you too. No, no one, uh, no suits in the dugout. You have to wear a baseball uniform. You know, it it just it makes me mental when I see that. And Cox was that guy. He wore his uniform meticulously and he always wore metal spikes. And if you if you break down his win loss percentage, I thought the interesting thing in this article was that Ross played for him for a couple of years. And I think he maybe his managerial style may be more steeped in Bobby Cox. Than it is in Joe Madden. I, that's the reason why I thought this was kind of uh, very, very interesting.
1: No, that's true. That's true. Although uh, Ross had a pretty long career and he played for a lot of managers, but 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 you know Cox is one of the best ones. And I thought it was telling what he said that that he always felt that they had an edge over the other team because of Cox, that he was able to kind of outthink the guy in the other bench, you know. So. Well,
0: Buck, and Buck Show, Showalter had a great line. He's like Cox was a brilliant strategist. Bobby never got out Fox. You would put out a play, you would look over in the other dugout, and he'd be looking right at you.
1: All right, so real quick, I want to mention the uh, White Sox. Yeah. uh, been kind of quiet as far as where they're going to be doing their spring training and where they're going to keep their player pool and their taxi squad. They're happy to be playing again, but, uh, I mean, ostensibly all these teams are going to be playing at, at their own home facilities. You know, but a lot of the logistical stuff from the White Sox doesn't seem to have been set up. Now, I'm sure they're working on it, and I'm sure we'll know very soon. We have to. But the Cubs have been a little more, you know, they've been, I think the Cubs seem like they're a little better prepared. You know, once things finally came down, they're going to use South Bend as the place where they keep their player pool. And their taxi squad will be kind of at a at a facility. I think. Uh, but, be, but
0: before you before you talk about that, the Sox have a great team, Leo. Yeah. They they may net they they may be like garrison somewhere, like a, an unbelievable thing. And then once they the floodgates open, they could win forty five games. You we'll don't see. know that. We'll see. We don't know. We but they we have sure, a great I think, team. If you look I at their
1: Sox personnel.
0: Can- that, but it's unproven. There's no way to know the, what this team is going to do. The Cubs have to play them six times, and I'm telling you I'll be worried in every single one of those games.
1: I, I think that's going to be when the Cubs play the White Sox, it is must-see TV. It is going to be yeah. so exciting. Right. That's going I'm going to be all
0: over that. Because you know, it's thinking. really like the Cubs versus all the great players the Cubs gave the White Sox. <laughs> All right. So (laughs) speaking of the Cubs,
1: the Cubs also have been talking about letting in 25 percent of their capacity, Um, you know, that uh, that now we're in stage four in Illinois, restaurants and other places are allowed to have 25 percent capacity within their bars or whatever, within their buildings should the Cubs be allowed to have that? And also the other interesting thing is the Cubs are unique in that they have rooftops, you know, across the street, across Waveland, across Sheffield. And, you know, the the, the new rules by the state of Illinois would allow those sites to fill to 25% capacity. So there will be Cubs fans at the game.
0: Yeah. I'm optimistic, but not overly optimistic, because um, our great mayor, Mayor Lighthead, came out right away And said, you did not run that plan by me, and you need to run it by me because I need to know what the safety of our citizens is going to be. You have to have a detailed, you know, plan. Um, And so she's like, well, you know, no one's a bigger fan than me. You know, apparently she's a huge Sox fan, big baseball fan. Um, But so that let's hold your horses on that. I think that's optimistic. And the reason why I think the Cubs came out with that, what's his name? What's that? What's the uh, chance? Kenny or yeah, James, yeah.
1: Crane, Kenny. crane Kenny
0: Crane Kenny um came out and said that is because it goes back to what we heard Rickett say about this season without fans in the seats would be biblical loss to the cubs and i think that crane is under a lot of pressure yeah. from his bosses to make sure that they get some of that revenue back and yeah. and so i thought um, so you have that going on. But then you also have the, the, the mayor and the ultimately the governor saying these are the rules. So it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. I'm not overly optimistic. And the reason is, is because as somebody smart on TV said just recently, all of this is for naught if they get in two weeks and all of a sudden COVID pushes everybody back into their houses. That's right,
1: that's right. This and, is all you know,
0: for naught, if that happens.
1: The thing I worry about, too, is is what's going to happen on the streets around the ballpark. You know, um, maybe yeah. they can't right. get into the rooftops, maybe they can't get into the ballpark, but maybe they can get into, or there'll be lines to be get, to get into bars all around Wrigley
0: Field to have that experience, you know what, what I mean? What about uh, our little, uh, the little, what's that called, that area right outside the ballpark? What are they going to do with
1: that? Yeah. Is that going to be a twenty-five percent capacity? Right, right. Will I be able
0: to go to El Hardin? You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. All all that stuff is 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 up in the air, and I think that it's great that baseball is back. I'm glad we we have something substantial to talk about in our peanut section of our show. But but I but a part of me also thinks be very careful because what's going on with these Southern states that we talked about in COVID could very well be a microcosm of what could occur once baseball starts coming back. Now, real
1: fast, I want to get, before we get to the uh, popcorn, I want to talk about Ed Howard. And this is the the kid from the, from the South side who played in the Jackie Robinson, uh, the Jackie Robinson team that won the the little league world series and was signed by the Cubs for $3.75 million. Um, Will he be in the majors this season?
0: No. No, you don't think so? I don't think so. You know, maybe he makes a taxi squad where they're trying to give him, like, a, a week's exposure before they send him back down again. But, he, you know, I don't think he's really ready for that. I mean, I and the other thing, I, I just – I, I he, he's, like, a couple of years away from being a baseball a, – a, if he isn't – remember, when you have that draft, there's no assurance that you're going to become a major league baseball player. You, you have to go through the trials, of, in my mind – of tribulations of riding the bus at single A, moving up to double A. I mean, I just think you have to kind of go through that unless you're such a phenom that you you bypass it. Let him go through that process. That's possible. no, he's
1: and he's not ready. You know what I mean? He he. You look at the kid; he's very raw. I mean, defensively, he's very polished. He's yes, but he's not ready as a hitter and he has to get co- he has to be coached he has to learn he has to get training all the things that you need to sort of develop as a player now that being said the way the covid virus is he may be in the lineup you know in september it's it's it, you just don't know what to expect you know that anybody in the cubs organization may be on the field and i think everybody has to be prepared for that possibility so that all right so let's get, now we're done with Peanuts. Let's move to Popcorn. And you chose the movie this week. And I got to tell you, Tom, you chose Sunset Boulevard by Billy Wilder. Um, and, I, and I've never seen this movie and I can't tell you how happy I was that you chose this movie and how, how much I enjoyed watching it this week. This is, this is the best movie I've never seen. You know, And really? I'm, embarrassed. Really? I'm embarrassed that I don't know this movie that I don't yeah. know this movie better because I knew it based on two lines that were in the movie. You know, when, 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 when William Holden meets Nora Desmond and says, Oh, didn't you used to be big? And she says, I am big. It's the pictures that just got small. At the <laughs> end she she says, I'm ready for my close-up, Mr. DeMille. Right. You know, those two lines I knew without knowing
0: this movie. Th- this is, um, this is maybe the greatest film about Hollywood ever made. Um, Roger Ebert asserts that. I, I I have to give that a thought because there's been some some good ones, but but you can make the case that this is the best one. This one shows up at number 38 on my list. Oh, um, oh. I think it's one of the second or third best. Uh, films of the fifties be, be besides seven samurai. And, um, it certainly was better than the best picture that year, which was all about Eve, which is a great film, but it's not better than sunset Boulevard. So no, sunset, sunset Boulevard is, um, a masterpiece film. I, I think that anybody that's serious about motion pictures has to have that, um, you know experience and the, and the, like you I remember the first time I saw it and I was astounded by the film and I and I've seen it probably 20 times now and I I'm still astounded by it especially the ending how he, how it builds to that crescendo of this you know you have this mur- the basically a know, murder you
1: no know the main character is going to die right you know exactly get shot and end up face down in the
0: swimming pool right 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 I right mean. And, and and so I I bef- I just think that it's important, um, you know, as we go, as we kind of look at some of these films that we try in my mind, try to cover off on the best ones before we get to ones that are not as good as a sunset Boulevard. And, and we've, had, by the way, we're on a good, a good streak because I felt that same way about, uh, your pick last week, uh, Motorcycle, motorcycle uh, and, and love that film just as much as I love this one. But I think that, you know, um, the interesting things, um, from a trivia standpoint, on this film is that when Billy Wilder um, began the concept of Sunset Boulevard, he um, actually reached out to some of the silent film stars to try to. Um, well, first of all, he wanted Mary Pickford, the great Mary Pickford, um, to be to play the Norma Desmond role and she read the script and th- and and three quarters of the way through was horrified yeah. at the fact that she kind of was like that person i think it hit a little too close to home and yeah. she walked away from the project Cut, and so
1: close to the bone you exactly. know exactly it's, it's too much like her and and it is interesting i mean the movie basically is about this uh, former silent film movie star a rich woman her yeah. name is uh, you know uh, norma desmond yeah. and she lives at this Tired old mansion on Sunset Boulevard, and this young writer who's on, you know, on the lam from the guys who are trying to repossess his car pulls into her driveway, and he meets her
0: by happenstance.
1: By happenstance, by pure happenstance, and he meets her, and she's kind of she's being served by her butler Max, who we find out later is her former husband and former director in the silent movies, and this guy Eric von Stroheim, right. okay was, the guy who plays Max, was a silent film director. You know, as big as any who had lived in the silent era. You know, so it's all these these connections. So she takes a liking to the writer. She asks him to start punching up a script she's working on. But eventually he becomes a kept man. You know, this older woman keeps him. And for the time, that had to have been a shocking revelation. Because it's never, you never show... You never see them actually sleeping together, but you know right. that they are. Right. Everybody knows
0: they well, are. Well, first of all, she was only 12 years older than him, which, yeah. uh, you know. know. So that, I mean, but she's <laughs> so good. She's, she's, so, she's uh, yeah. it, the reason why I wanted to also talk about this is because I, after I re- read Roger Ebert's, um, Review on and I don't always read his reviews what before in prep of the show, because I want to have my own thoughts on it. Um, But in this case, I already had formed. uh, He couldn't train. But I thought that his review was Plitzer Prize worthy. I thought that was one of the greatest criticisms on film. For anybody that, you know, and uh, maybe I'll put a link in our thing this week, that, just read that article. The, the essay um, that he writes. Oh, on, it's, it's tremendous. It's, it's tremendous. tremendous. And, he, and he hits on a whole bunch of very interesting things, which talk about the kept man and how there is that one scene, you know, where he's back with his younger friends. Yeah. Um, but he, you know, he's almost longing to be with Norma, which is yeah. just is an antithesis. Of- Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Which is it? Just is bizarre beyond bizarre. It, it, that know. he
1: actually enjoys all the, you know, rich gifts that she right. showers on right. him, and she would he would rather be with her. You right. know,
0: and, and there's there's a um, there's a scene in um, um at, at in the middle of the film where um Eric von Stronheim's character um which by the way Max von. Uh, all, all, By the way, this is one of eleven films where all of the actors were nominated for either best. At, it's all. It, there was a nomination: best actor, actress, supporting actress, and then of course, uh, Eric von uh, Stroheim as best supporting actor at playing Max. And he, and and Ebert is a hundred percent right. Stroheim steals the picture. If you really you know, watch him, he's the beaten down man yeah. that. You know, is is a cuckold, obviously, and and his her first husband, and she's he's so devoted to her that they show this this one scene um, uh, where uh, they want to go back and look at some of her old great films, and yeah. and they actually showed a, a Gloria Swanson silent picture that was directed by Eric von Stroheim, and so it's, it's like it's the like movie inside of a movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just, that was brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Queen and then Kelly Queen Kelly was the film that she was in, by the way.
1: Yeah, so it's directed by the man who's working as the projectionist in the movie. Correct, you which know, was the, the cuckold
0: first husband.
1: That was crazy. That yes. was that was yeah. really crazy. And then the the bridge, the scene where they're playing bridge yeah. with Buster Keaton, yeah. that was also telling.
0: You know, well, and, because because Buster Keaton was one of Hollywood's greatest bridge players, if not the greatest bridge players. And it was it's not unusual to see his, his room on the hotel on the road where he'd have four chairs and he'd have bridge cards all dealt out and he would examine right. all the hands. He was kind of an expert at bridge.
1: That's funny. But he was the, one of the greatest silent film stars, you know. Correct, correct, right, right. And then also the appearance to the cameo of, of Cecil B. DeMille himself. Right, You right. know. That just, I mean, it just blows you away just how inside this movie is. Oh, there's and, no doubt. And and another minor character, you know, uh, is played by, um, you know, it's it, it's uh, Artie Green, the assistant director. It's just kind of yeah, a minor yeah. part. Is played by Jack Webb. you yeah, Going yeah, to yeah. star in Dragnet, and you're just like, oh my God, I I can't believe he can do another part. You know, another right, kind right, of. Right. It was just amazing. I it was I,
0: nominated for for best picture and didn't win it, but it, in my mind, it was the best picture that year. Um, if you
1: have not seen Sunset Boulevard, okay, you you if you're listening to this podcast, you haven't seen that movie. Go see it now. You can see it on Crackle for free. You have to sit through commercials, um, but but it is but it's uncut and it is brilliant. It really right. is. So I, I let's get to my movie. Unless there's anything else you'd no, like to no no go ahead. And and I decided to take your Billy Wilder film. You know, we didn't talk about Billy Wilder enough in this movie uh, today. Um, but it, we're going to take, I'm going to take your Billy Wilder. I'm going to one up you and I'm going to go with The Apartment. Jack Lemmon, Shirley MacLaine, because I still want to talk about, um, I still want to talk about Billy Wilder. And I want to talk about the idea of a kept man or a kept woman and the right. times that these movies were made versus
0: our times. That, that's a great choice. That's arguably his best film. So so that's a great choice.
1: Good, good. Well, I'm glad you like it. And then until next week, we are Two Peas in a Podcast.
0: I'll oh, bang the drums
1: slowly And play the five loads Play the dead march As they carry me along Put bunches of roses
0: all over my coffin Roses to deaden the clouds as they fall